Hello and welcome to Whitlit, the funny books podcast. Each episode I talk to comedians, writers or publishers about their favourite witty literature. And in this episode I am talking to the excellent comedy TV researcher Yasin Kader about his favourite short, dark, funny novels by Lucy Ellman. We recorded this during the heat wave in July, um, if you can remember that. Uh, if you listen closely, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you can hear me like dripping sweat. Uh, so it's quite weird to be editing this in November and in approximately five jumpers. Um, but the timing also means that Lucy Ellman was yet to be uh, long-listed and then short-listed for the Booker Prize um, for her thousand-page epic novel, uh, Duck's Newburyport. So, um, yeah, look out for us talking about Lucy Ellman as if no one has heard of her and then complimenting the brevity of her wit. Um, it really is a time capsule. You can be like, hi, I'm Yasin. I like being a car artist. Hi, uh, my name is Yasin Kader. I am a researcher for some comedy shows that go on television in the UK. I write a little bit of comedy in my spare time. Uh, I used to do stand-up, but don't do it anymore. I don't read many books. So, <laughs> so I here have three books. Um, that are all by an American author who is based in the UK whose name is Lucy Ellman. So I discovered Lucy Ellman when I was on a gap uh, after my first year of university where I, I I'd failed my exams and I was quite uh, quite depressed and I, was, I moved back home with my parents um, and I went to the little antiquarian bookshop near their house. It does books and furniture is the thing. <laughs> And so on the Saturday, they take all the furniture out and like you can, you can peruse it. But during the week, all the furniture is stuffed into these like three very narrow aisles in the bookshop. Uh, it's called Keith Fork's Antiquarian Bookshop. Mm. Um, and they do good stuff there. And I was drawn to two titles, one of which has the name uh, Varying Degrees of Hopelessness, which uh, is a novel by Lucy Allen. Um, and the other was called Four Bare Legs in a Bed, which was a collection of short stories by Helen Simpson, which uh, I like a lot. They're both pretty short, uh, mm. as, as books themselves. And then, uh, you know, one of the symptoms of the, of the depression is that I was having a very difficult time concentrating, especially on large, uh, you know, works of, of literature, any kind of reading, academic or just, you know, novels. Um, and the benefit of these two books was that Helen Simpson's are short stories and Varying Degrees of Hopelessness has a very interesting style that I think we'll get into, which has uh, very short chapters, some of which are half a page, um, and a lot of paragraphs are only a sentence long. I mean, paper-wise, it's a huge waste. Uh, and <laughs> also a lot of the sentences themselves are one or two words long. Mm. So when you add all that up, you, you kind of you get through it very quickly. And if you're somebody who's been struggling to read, it makes you feel very proud of yourself. Um, Big time. And brevity, as we know, is, yeah. the, is the soul, is it? Is it's, brevity is the it's soul, the soul of, wit? of something, yeah. I should caveat <laughs> this uh, with the fact that Lucy Elman's latest novel uh, just came out about a couple of weeks ago and is uh, 1,020 pages long. No! And uh, according to reviews, 
consists of eight sentences, many of which are hundreds of pages long. So if you were considering uh, that my earlier <laughs> review of her work to be appealing, my recommendation would be go, to, go for the early stuff. Because... <laughs> Yes, certainly if you think that brevity is the soul of wit. Yeah, she's really thrown in the critics' faces. <laughs> it's wow, called really? Ducks. Oh, Ducks something. Ducks okay. and then a town. So the short ones are what really drew me to her. Uh, so I'm going to be talking about two books uh, by Lucy Elman. And they are called Sweet Desserts, which was her debut novel. And then Varying Degrees of Hopelessness, which came out uh, a few years later. Sweet Desserts came out in 1988. And I think Varying Degrees of Hopelessness was the early 90s. Sweet Desserts, I think, is loosely autobiographical. It has some elements that are similar to uh, her life. She, uh, Lucy Elman, the real person, has a father who was a very famous biographer. Biography that was held in high esteem of James Joyce and one about Oscar Wilde as well. Mm. Um, Lucy Elman and her sister were born in Illinois, I think, near the University of Chicago or one of the universities in that area. And then when they were teenagers, uh, they were brought to the to the UK. Uh, her mother is also a, an academic or a writer of, of some description. Oh, and Lucy Elman in uh, real life has a sister called Maud Elman. And when I was in, when I'd come back from university after that little time out, um, I really wanted to adapt her in degrees of hopelessness into a stage play. But I couldn't find out any way to get Lucy Elman's like publisher's contact details. So for a while, I had found out that Maud Elman, Lucy Elman's sister, uh, was a an academic at the University of Chicago. At one point I was going to get Maud Elman's like <laughs> academic email and be like, do you know your sister's publishing details for a novel that came out like 25 <laughs> years ago? And I'm not doing that. Oh, um, In the novel, uh, Susie and Franny's mother dies uh, when they are uh, quite young and then their father gets a job teaching at Oxford University and so moves them there and they both have some difficulty adapting to English people and the English way of life and steadfastly keep their American accents and then are both kind of pressured by their father to go into academia and they both become art historians because their father is an art mm. historian. It's only one step away, isn't it? Yeah. It's not, it's not very veiled. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I guess the themes of Sweet Desserts are insecurity, kind of love and kind of sex, but every relationship is, is really very disappointing. And then uh, food. Uh, the character, the main character Susie is, and I don't know the technical terms yet, also trigger warning slash contact notice for mentions of eating disorders and also uh, sexual assault. But yeah, I think, I think you classify Susie as a binge eater. She eats a lot and she talks a lot about how she's eating a lot and she eats a lot in secret. And so there's a lot of like various funny things like opening a bag of biscuits and then trying to glue it shut so nobody knows that she's already eaten some of them um, but then the smell of the glue like sticking up the whole kitchen and then like kind of giving her away there oh, there's a lot of relationships spent a lot of kind of romantic and sexual relations mentioned in the book they're all perfunctory most disappointing even the fulfilling ones are also very perfunctory <laughs> well it's all sounding hilarious so far <laughs> i think it's very funny i think i wanted to talk a little bit about dark humor. Mm, so I think mm. there are there are like different strands of dark humor. I think there's a kind of dark humor that I remember just being baffled by. There was quite a popular in like Facebook circa maybe like 2010 <laughs> where every punchline was like dead babies in a blender, you know, oh, like God, that kind of thing. I remember that. And it's like the images were so like grotesque and horrific that mm. there was really the phrase dead baby was the punchline to everything. So mm. it quickly became very predictable. 
Yes, and it was almost more for the repetition than for that as a thing being yeah, funny. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then... Your mum, for example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, like... Not saying that your mum is like... <laughs> <laughs> then we all started watching, uh, you know, comedy specials and, you know, going to comedy shows, going to Edinburgh and things like that. And then that became a very different brand of, uh, of dark humour where it was generally the person themselves talking about things which had personally affected mm. them. And so you understood inherently that, like, the perspective was different. And so, therefore, um, you kind of, kind of put your trust in them that it was all going to turn out all right. Just a little side note. I found, it, I found that, like, response to Nanette very interesting. And you were somebody who saw it at Edinburgh before it had the big ne- international mm. Netflix release. Mm. But, like, obviously it was amazing. But the way that American writers in particular were talking about it, I think it just kind of exposed that most of them have just like never seen an Edinburgh show. Yeah. Because their, their <laughs> style of comedy is not one that is yes, built around true, like yeah. often a single narrative thread mm, throughout the entire mm, thing. Mm. And like the finale of a show is not going to be a big emotional point. It's often just going to be their biggest joke will just happen at the end of their mm. hour. Um, anyway, that's a little side point. Mm, mm. But, uh-huh. And also like self-deprecation mm-hmm. as a something that maybe she argues is that it's quite a British form of humour mm-hmm. that we internalise and don't even view as humour anymore, yes, almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly, yeah, the, this this thought that dark humour can come in all shapes and sizes mm-hmm. and be as much a kind of point of view of a character as much as it is a subject matter. Yeah. So how would you describe Lucy Elman's, like, particular form of dark humour or do you think it comes in lots of different shades? I think it, it mainly depends on what the style of narration is. I think the narrator is always winking at the reader about how much these women, even though they have real problems, are kind of catastrophizing mm, their own things. Mm. And like for example, both the books have uh, suicide attempts. In one case, it's a teenager who's just having very normal teenager problems and is being has a very dramatic reaction to it. And in varying degrees, it's an inherently very dramatic, overdramatic, melodramatic character. And so in both cases, their method of suicide is just thinking they are so sad that they will just lay down and die. <laughs> it's like they want to be like Ophelia mm. in the Millet painting, where it's like, she's beautiful and like not a single hair is out of place and like they'll just be perfectly calm and supine and tranquil and the weight of their unbearable suffering will just cause them to die because that is the right thing to do because the universe has been so cruel to them and I find that fucking hilarious (laughs) are you gonna read a little extract? I'm gonna read a little extract yeah oh my god amazing this is from Sweet Desserts so it's the character it's a flashback where the character Susie so Susie is I think about 14 at this point she's just moved to England and she's not enjoying it and then there's an extract from her suicide note I Susie Schwartz love and lover of Christopher Tuft sister of my sister daughter of my father have hereby decided to end my life and to therefore prepare my humble will back into normal text I was using the word therefore a lot of the time (laughs) I lay back thought of England and try to die. <laughs> Everyone's been an emo 14-year-old and been like, I, the world is so yeah. cruel to me yeah. that I, yeah. I shall lay down and die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my brother stole my crisps. Yeah. I am going to lie here a martyr to exactly. my cause. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so here's a bit where, uh, so we mentioned Christopher Taft, who's a character, or Taft, I guess you should say. So this is her talking about their relationship with, I guess they're both meant to be like 13, 14. Daddy discovered us squirming around on the chaise long in the living room one evening with Lord of the Flies on TV and told us to put the light on. He scowled at me for some time afterward and warned me uncomfortably about pregnancy. Then it's a, a letter. Dear Susie, do you think it's right that we should fuck? I mean, we're not all that old. I'm not saying I don't want to, but wouldn't we be breaking the rules? Ah, oh, fuck the rules. Let's do it anyway. <laughs> Kate advised Chris that we should try oral sex first, but we'd already decided to fuck. After our exam, so as not to interfere too much with our studies, in case the earth moved and everything changed, changed utterly. <laughs> and and then, the, then the song that reminded me, we talked uh, a bit off the podcast. We never talked off the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of my favourite Twitter accounts, which is so sad today, which again is something that pokes fun at catastrophizing mm. the, the, the writer is. Um, and in her memoir, So Sad Today, um, it's all about addictive personalities and food addiction and eating in secret is something that occurs a lot and that kind of is shared. Yeah, very, very good comp. Um, yeah. So Saturday is different because she, Melissa Broder has been to a lot of therapy and um, uses kind of therapeutic terms a lot and is able to, you know, she'll be like, mm. but like kind of flippantly, she'll be like, so yeah, I'm just getting into that kind of, you know, recursive thought spiral, you know, it's kind of standard <laughs> for me. And I think that these two novels are written in this kind of style, even though she's an American author, it's this kind of, yeah, talking about yourself for an hour and paying for it is like a ridiculous indulgence. Yeah. It's funny how it can feel then that it's both repressed and melodramatic yes. at the yeah, same time. Yeah, that's very true, yeah. It's like all about excess at the same time as restraint. Uh-huh. And I wonder if there's something with the food there of like... I really enjoyed the Pisces. Yeah. I have um, not read it. I would like you to read it. Okay. Did I lend it to you? Is no. Is it in your room? Is no. it on my shelf? Yeah, you finished it in a day. I did finish it in a day. Yeah. I ate it. I loved it. I wanted to give Rabbit. It. I wanted, I wanted to, marry to marry it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that memoir funny? Yeah, it's like very dark. Mm. But it's very funny. It's very dark. Yeah, The yeah, whole yeah. thing is very bleak and kind of sexual. <laughs> so, at the, very, at the very start of the book, um, she's just come out of this relationship and she hears that this guy, um, Jamie, is now seeing someone else. Basically, she then goes and makes a bit of a violent mistake. Later that night, I got a visit from a police officer investigating the incident. Apparently, Megan had called the police from the hospital or she had coerced him into it. I had broken Jamie's nose. The cop said that the couple would not be pressing charges if I agreed to go to therapy. The couple? Now they were making decisions as a unit? <laughs> what did she look like? I asked him. Uh, he faltered. Would you say she's better looking than me? <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a bit more and then it's like, Battery? I said. Do I look like a batterer? He was silent. Look, can you just tell me? Aside from the broken nose, did they seem happy? <laughs> I'm going to read a little bit of perfunctory sex. Uh, so this is You're Susie. always doing this, yes. I know. <laughs> this is Susie talking about her, uh, her boyfriend, uh, Jeremy. I could hear Jeremy coming up the stairs, so I turned off the radio. He went straight into the front room to deposit the second-hand briefcase I'd bought him in a jumble sale and decorated with his initials in gold enamel paint back in the days when I loved his every bodily process. He looked in on me. Do you want a cup of coffee? He asked. No thanks, just had one. Everything okay? Must get on. A lot of papers to mark tonight. Uh... Jeremy, 
I'm sorry, but I just don't know what I'm doing here. What do you mean? Well, we never go out anymore. We hardly see each other. We go to bed at different times. I don't know, you're always in the front room. It was a half-hearted effort, like Samson's first chatem. Delilah urges him to say more. I shut up. Look, can we possibly talk about this another time? I'll be up all night if I don't get started on this marking. I tried to be extra nice all evening after that, relieved at least that I hadn't brought up the lack of sex issue. And when he came to bed at about four o'clock, he woke me by putting a cold hand between my legs. He was soon fucking me. I didn't attempt to get my cap for fear of his losing interest. Immediately afterwards, he got off me, turned on the light, opened a can of yogurt he'd brought with him, and a thriller. I went back to sleep slowly, feeling envious of the yogurt. That is one of the most vile things I've ever heard. I hope that no one who's listening can relate to that. <laughs> there's kind of a commitment to hating yourself. Yeah. There, there's, there are moments in Sweet Desire, there's one particular moment where... And I'm actually just fucking reading it, I don't know. This is Susie talking. I'll miss you, I said, immensely. Fling replies, you shouldn't miss me immensely. You should be having a swinging social life. Hey, but write to me. I love you. It reminded me of similarly romantic, hopeless statements made under similar pressure from the Atlantic 15 years earlier. He urged autonomy on me when I hadn't yet satisfied the pubescent longing to unbutton and reveal all those soft, sad corners. I felt around for my shell as I watched him go and climbed back into it. Oh. Both books came to me at a very, like, a time when I really needed them, both because they're very short and have short chapters and short sentences, and I felt like I could read again. And also because, like, I was extremely depressed and it helped me both, you know, it's like that line of history boys, you know, it's like you find somebody else who, who feels the same way and it's like a hand reaching out. Um, but also it did like be, it helped me see myself from the outside and be like, I mean, you're being ridiculous here. Um, like some of the things that you feel are legitimate, but also you are catastrophizing everything. Um, but it, yeah, it's also just that, that idea that like, if you, if you, if you fall in love with somebody and you love them a lot and they love you back, and then the relationship has to end for whatever reason, they, they might be like, well, I fell in love with you for this reason, so that means there's something about you, but you're like, no, you were the thing about me. I don't have anything. It's, like, it's a fucking Phil Collins song. He's like, if you leave me now, you take away the biggest part of me. That was an NPR podcast. Yeah. This is going to be a real litmus test for what other people find funny, mm. because I am like still a very depressed person. Your mileage may vary. Maybe there's not a lot of humour in these books. It's just that I like quite sad things punctuated by some extreme comedy. Even Standard, who said, reading Elman is like finding bits of broken glass in your lollipop. Yeah, there's a lot of darkness and a lot of sharpness and a lot of bitingness in them. Um, and that's what, I, that's what I love about them. Later on in the book, um, we get this from Susie's perspective. I sat down and wrote a letter to Chris, with whom I'd not bothered to communicate for 12 years. Dear Chris, sorry to have not been in touch for 12 years. Sorry than you may imagine, in fact. I can't get you out of my system. Please come fuck me soon so I can see you're no better than other men. Come soon. I'm living with a guy who likes crisps and yogurts in bed when he has a cold. He treats me well whenever I'm sick and brings me lemsip, but it immediately feels hard done by and gets sick himself and needs crisps and yogurts brought to him. I'm writing a PhD, but not getting it done. Recently, I retrieved the shoebox full of your letters from my house in Oxford. How could you have loved me so much? Come fuck me soon. <laughs> Imagine signing off an email. <laughs> um, should we talk about varying degrees of hopelessness? Oh, I love that. It was published in 1991, so three years later. So the protagonist of this book is called Isabel, and she is studying at uh, an art... Again, 
in mm. art history. I think the further on that she got, the less the less people studying art history there were <laughs> in her books. She is a fantasist, so 31 years old, and she's a virgin, and she talks at length about being a virgin, but it's all filtered through this lens of romance novels. The romance author she's obsessed with is called Babs Cartwheel. Um, <laughs> Babs Cartwheel is a parody of Dame Barbara Cartland, who wrote like hundreds of romance novels uh, and made over a billion pounds in royalties because wow. like throughout the like 60s and 70s and 80s she was releasing like 20 a year, you know? And Why just... are we all doing that? I mean, exactly. So, and I guess it probably is a bit of like a sexist thing to be like, oh, these women, you know, they'll just buy anything. They'll buy the same book, you know, 300 times just because it's, you know, it's got a sexy man on the cover. Um, I mean, are episodes of porn completely different from each other? I mean, very much so. It's <laughs> the central conceit of... Uh, I also love that you conceive of porn as being in, like, episodic... <laughs> What's the trilogy what, structure? What, se- um, what season is this? <laughs> I, I, I'm just caught, I'm binging. But yeah, the character Isabel is obsessed with this author's, author, uh, Babs Cartwheel, who has written 373 romantic novels. Uh, Isabel narrates the novel with these, like, you know, apostrophes. So it's always like, I, Isabel, a 31-year-old virgin. Um, the chapter names are things like, our heroine, the 31-year-old woman falls in love. The thirty-one, the thirty-one-year-old woman makes a salad. So it's like these, like there's like descriptive <laughs> yeah, titles you get in like nineteenth-century yeah. novels. So this is a little bit from our heroine, which is one of the first chapters. Into this famed and dusty institution came I, I, Isabel, menstruating, alienated, and allergic to nuts. I, thirty-one years of age and still a virgin. I, a thirty-one-year-old virgin with a nervous habit of repeating myself. <laughs> I, who move fast in the way of all people who have been told they move slowly. I, a dismal, disenfranchised devotee of the historical romances of Babs Cartwheel. I, an aging virgin holding out for Mr. Wright. I, who'd had offers but wasn't going to settle for second best. I, who had in fact considered these offers improper suggestions. <laughs> Insults, really. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's Isabel's deal. She's, she's, she describes everything in the context of of these romantic tropes. She's in love with this lecturer at the, at the catafalque um, called Lionel Sims, who has these red socks, which she finds very provocative and very attractive. <laughs> um, and she only refers to him as the splendid young man, where every, <laughs> the first letter of every word is capitalised. It's reminding me a bit of Bridget Jones's diary. Yeah, I was going to say that, yeah. Yes. I guess it's a bit different here in that she seems to be, not have the self-awareness that mm-hmm. Bridget Jones has. Yeah. The thing yeah. of like watching uh, historical romance and thinking, why can't my life be mm, because it's. Mm. But I think she does kind of describe herself as. I, Bridget Jones. Yeah, yeah, kind exactly. Of thing, yeah. And like, you know, have finally found myself like a handsome and, mm, and, and mm. sex god boyfriend, mm, Mark mm. Darcy. Isabel really expects her life to, to mm, match up to this mm. and is quite disappointed when it doesn't. And then here's a quote that I remember. I think I posted this on Tumblr uh, many years ago. <laughs> so she met, she met this man after walking into a flat into his flat and was extremely embarrassed. While she was away from the table, an intriguing thing happened. He looked at me quizzically and asked, haven't we met? And then laughed. I couldn't think of anything to say. For, in that split second between his quizzical look and his laugh, I'd fallen madly in love. I transferred all my allegiances, or the bulk of them at any rate, from the splendid young man to Robert in a matter of moments. It was momentous. One of the advantages of unrequited passions, I find, is that there is no need to worry about infidelity. One can fall in love with a new person every day and hurt no one except oneself. That is so good. (laughs) 
got me a lot of likes back in the day. <laughs> um, yeah, and so it just kind of goes, it kind of goes on like that, and she's she's like trying to understand why all these people having casual sex with people they don't seem to be thinking of as soulmates mm. are ending up a lot happier than her. Um, and then yeah, and then she kind of has to confront whether um, so stringently sticking to the rules of romantic novels published by Babs Cartwheel is really going to going to lead to her happiness. Mm. Yeah, so Lucy Elman, very funny and very dark and very biting and I think uh, interesting to read if you're the kind of, kind of person who uh, is very neurotic and is in your own head a lot and catastrophizes things. And yeah, I think that's uh, what a great sign off. All I have to say about that. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Witlit. Um, please subscribe. Tell your friends tell your therapists follow it on social media um it's on instagram at witlit podcast or twitter at witlit pod um you can also follow me as a person i'm uh, lily underscore linden or bookie mcbookface on instagram of course um send me a message on there please no one messages me um each episode i also do a book giveaway on there um Frankly, I'm a bit embarrassed uh, at this point by how few people are entering those giveaways because it it makes it it makes it less of a competition and more like giving it to the one person who commented. So, um, if you like free funny books, then put me out of my misery. Uh, and if not, then please find some entertainment by looking at that. Um, Thank you, uh, Yasin, for being an, an excellent human, uh, podcast guest, uh, and also flatmate. Uh, if you would like my guests to be less uh, people I live with, um, then please do get in touch. Um, I would love to hear from you about your favourite funny books too. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, remember to drink more water. And uh, see you soon.